Hey, welcome to Cross Creek On Demand. We are so glad you are here. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor. We created Cross Creek to be a church for people who don't normally go to church. And so we've designed our Sunday environment, including our online environment, to be a safe place where people can discover God's love for them. We would love to connect with you when you are ready. Go ahead and scroll down and you can click ask a question, ask for prayer. Maybe you could find out how you could get here on a Sunday evening to join us live. But we would love just to be a part of your journey in discovering God's love. When you're ready, we would love to see you in person. Until then, why don't you go ahead and click subscribe so you can be updated on Cross Creek's most recent messages. Thanks for joining us. Good evening. Good to see you guys. My name's John. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're just so glad that you chose to spend an hour with us here at Cross Creek. And you are here for part two of a series that we're calling Better Together. Because honestly, if you think about it, we are better together. There's so many things that are better together, right? And it's, it's in us. It's instinctual in us. If I said peanut butter, you say... If I say, hey, you say... Okay, half of you got that one. That's cool. That's all right. Bert and? Good job. Pancakes and? Syrup. Syrup. Stop, syrup. It's just syrup. Okay. John and? Liz. That's my wife's name if you're new. And speaking of which, if you are new, we are so glad that you are here with us because we are all better together. So thank you for visiting us. Thank you for being here. If you kind of came in near the end there, we have welcome cards in the seat in front of you where you fill that out some very easy information about yourself and you can drop that off at the information table after this service and we'll give you a free gift. The information table is in the lobby. And if you're watching online, thank you so much for watching online. We are glad that you are watching. Um, I did a little bit of research because there was some controversy from uh, my message last week. So I did some research. And uh, I actually, I got a letter. I think it was my first complaint letter. <laughs> By the way, oh, in, in two years, my first complaint letter, which means I'm finally doing it right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I made a, a comment that we're better together. And one of the reasons, or one of the proofs is, who would, who, would you rather go to an NFL game or a track meet? NFL game, right? Because a team sport, right? Team sports are way more exciting than individual sports. And I got an angry letter about that. <laughs> and so I did some research. And I looked up, how much does the NFL, how much revenue does the NFL bring in every year? $25 billion. That's a lot. For, for you know, America's favorite team sport, Right? So I, I looked up, how much does professional track and field revenue bring in every year? I couldn't find it. <laughs> People didn't even care enough to like, put that online. You can see a cat trying to play the piano online, but you can't find out how much revenue track and field makes online. So now they're going to quit the church. That's all right. <laughs> they won't. They love it. Yeah, she's not even here. <laughs> but we are better together. That's, that's just one proof. In fact, that's why we here at Cross Creek started this for Salem thing, because we believe that, you know, Jesus came to, to change the world, to change our lives, to give us hope, to give us freedom. We believe that following Jesus makes our life better and makes us better at life, and we want other people to be a part of that. And if it was just like one of us going out in the city and trying to do loving things for people, it would, 
a few people would be changed, and that would be great. But if we all band together and we have the same mission and the same heart, we can really change Salem. And if you're online, you can still be a part of that wherever you are. And so in September, our challenge, our For Salem challenge, is to just pay it backward, to, to go in the drive-thru and pay for somebody behind you and give them a For Salem card, which you can also find at the info table, or pay for part of the person behind you because you never know who's in the car and how many people are in there, right? So but that's how we can be better together, how we can make an impact together. Now, the thing with being better together is that there's a flip side. There's, there's the other side of the coin, which is we're worse off on our own, which I wanted to name this series, but it's a terrible title. <laughs> we're worse off on our own. Think about it. One of the saddest words in the English language, and it'll get better, but first I'm going to bum you out, One of the saddest words in the English language is alone. Alone. And you introverts are like, no, that's the best word in the English language. And I tend to agree until you're actually alone and you can't do anything about it. When you're alone and it's not your choice. If you're so introverted that you're like, no, that sounds great. I wish I was on a deserted island and nobody was there. Think, in prison, they use solitary confinement as a punishment because it works, because it's horrible to be alone. In fact, it's a controversial punishment. Some people say it's, it's torture to use um, solitary confinement because we were designed to need people. We were designed to be better together. We are worse off on our own. And that's not a new idea. In fact, uh, Solomon, King Solomon, he was an ancient king of the Israelites, of the Jewish nation. Some people consider him one of the wisest people to ever live. Thousands of years ago, he wrote this. Two are better than one. It's a little obvious, but we'll, we'll go through it. Because they have a good return for their labor. Think about farmers, right? You got one guy farming a field. He can't get much done. Two guys... Two people can get a lot done. So they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. As you get older, you realize that that's important. Right, Dad? But, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands, it gets even better with three, is not quickly broken. Now, what do all of these things have in common? Yes, there are people doing things together, but there's something that needed to happen for this to actually work. For any of this to work, for two to be better than one, those two have to agree that they are worse off by themselves. They have to admit that they need help. If somebody falls down and there's somebody there to help them, he can't say, no, 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 don't help me, don't help me. Because he needs that other person. He has to, if, to get that help, he has to admit, hey, I need help. And so to be better together, we have to admit we are worse alone. To be better together, we have to admit that we're worse alone, that we can't do something by ourselves. Admitting that we're worse off on our own means we're admitting that we're lacking something. It means admitting that we have a weakness, that we have a need, that we aren't the whole package. Sounds terrible, right? Sounds horrible. 
In fact, when I was, when I was thinking through this idea of not admitting we, we need help, my mind imme- immediately went to my three-year-old daughter, Quinn. Because she has her mom's fire, but she's not old enough to, to learn her mom's grace yet. And so every, every time she's trying to do something and fumbling with it, and I say, honey, let me help you, guess what her response is? Oh, thank you, Father. You are so strong and wise and handsome. I'm like, I know. No, she says, me do it. Me do it. I want to do it. And she's trying to put in, you know, the, the car seat where you have the little chest thing and then the little lap thing, and she's got three-year-old little pudgy fingers, and she's trying to push them in, and I'm trying to go because we've got somewhere to be, and we're, we're already late. She's like, me do it, me do it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, just... And then five minutes later, she's like, Daddy, I need help. She's like, finally, thank you. But often, we're kind of like that, aren't we? No, I want to do it. I don't want, I don't want people to see my weakness. We don't want to appear weak because if, if you think about it, and if you've lived long enough, you kind of realize this, is that weaknesses are usually, usually searched for and exploited. There's been a time in your life where you let somebody in, you showed them your weakness, or they found a weakness about you. Maybe think back into middle school, and it was exploited, and it was used against you because somebody found out your weakness. Think about it. There is someone combing the background of every political candidate right now. Every single person who is on stage for the Democratic uh, debate, there is somebody combing, pouring over their background to find a weakness, to find something to use against them so that they don't look as bad as the weakness they found, so they can use it against them. That's why I never, ever want to run for office. Why, I'm so glad social media didn't exist when I was a teenager. There's no proof of those dumb choices. So be kind to your teenagers and be wise if you are a teenager. But think about it. There are coworkers. Maybe there are in-laws. Maybe there are siblings. And in some cases, maybe there are spouses, former spouses, looking for a weakness to exploit. When you're around them, you feel like you have to be on your guard. Now, before you get all high and mighty, we do it to others, too. Like, no, I don't. I'm, you know, I'm in church. I'm, one of the, I'm a good person. But maybe we do it just to make ourselves feel better, right? We find a weakness and we say, oh, good. At least I'm not as bad as them, right? At least I didn't do that. At least I'm not that way. At least I don't have that weakness. Maybe... Maybe you left church because you felt like the people there are trying to find your weakness, trying to exploit a weakness, trying to find a fault in you and then exploiting it in some way. Maybe this is your first time trying out a church again. You're like, are they going to be like that? No, we're not. But maybe that's why you were scared to come here. Maybe that's why you're still scared and you're watching online, which is totally cool. I want you to know we designed this church to be a church for people who don't normally go to church because we know there's those experiences, those backgrounds. But we've all had somebody use a weakness against us. And so what do we usually choose to do? We choose to be alone. Sometimes physically, right? Like those hermits who live off in the woods and convert a 747 into their house and nobody can find them. And and then you see them on doomsday preppers and you're like, oh my gosh, I should get a 747. No. So sometimes it's physically alone. We remove ourselves from society. But more often, it's emotionally or internally alone. We shut other people out. 
We're never really open with who we truly are. We never let the real us come out. And so we choose isolation to protect ourselves. Often we choose isolation, usually emotionally, as a protection, as a defense mechanism. So we protect ourselves emotionally because we've been hurt. Maybe we protect our image. We want to look like we have it all together. Right? If they knew that I had this weakness, if they knew that I had this need, they would think less of me. They wouldn't respect me. I would, I would lose face in their eyes. And so we put on a good face. We tell ourselves that you know, we need to find and rely on our inner strength. We need to look out for number one. You can only trust yourself. We fake it till we make it. Oh, I'm strong enough. Everybody else can do it, so I'll do it. We don't let anyone see behind the curtain, see who we really are. And when we do that, eventually we wake up and we realize we're alone. We realize no one truly knows us because we've never let anyone truly know us. Something falls apart in our life and we have no one to turn to. We face a challenge and there's no one to get our back. So how do we fix that? What do we do? Well, the answer is actually pretty scary. If you're, if you're a man, the answer is pretty uncomfortable. We won't use the word scary. Because it makes you feel vulnerable. There's another word you're hoping I would say. It makes you feel exposed. But this answer really is the only way to become more than you could be on your own. To actually be better together. And it's this idea that we're going to talk about. That admitting our weakness allows others to lend us their strength. Admitting our weakness, admitting we don't have it all together, admitting that we don't have all the answers, that we can't do it alone, allows others to lend us their strength. And vice versa. And we'll talk about that. And really, we see this answer really played out for us in the letter written by the Apostle Paul, an ancient letter the Apostle Paul wrote around 50 A.D., We call it the Book of Galatians. It's in the New Testament. Uh, We call it the Book of Galatians. It's actually just an ancient letter Paul wrote to Jesus followers in Galatia. Now, if you are watching online or you're here because somebody dragged you here, you're like, you know what? That whole Christian thing, and I'm not really into Christians. I don't really like Christians. You know, I, I might even hate some Christians. You got nothing on Paul. See, Paul steps onto the stage of history as the ultimate Christian hater. You want, you want maybe Christians to leave you alone? Paul wanted them in prison, and he actually put them in prison. And then he actually met the risen Jesus, and his whole life changed, and he became uh, like an unstoppable force of starting groups of Jesus followers, communities of Jesus followers called churches. And he went around the ancient Mediterranean starting churches. And he would write letters to these groups of Jesus followers saying, hey, this is what it means to follow Jesus. Here's what this is all about. And in this book, or this letter that we call Galatians, and you can turn there if you want. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Galatians 6. If you don't have a Bible, totally cool. Everything will be on the screen for you. Online, it'll be on your screen as well. But in this book of Galatians, Paul is talking about how following Jesus isn't about following rules. It isn't about getting everything right. It isn't about looking 
right. It isn't about following as the Jews called the law of Moses, including the Ten Commandments. It's about following one law, the law of Christ, or as we call it, the law of love, where Jesus said, this is my commandment, love each other as I have loved you. And, and the people that Paul was writing to, they had, uh, he came, he started a church there, and then other people came, other, uh, Jewish Christians said, no, you gotta, you gotta convert to Judaism, you gotta follow all the commandments, and, and so often I think we, we want rules. If, if you're a churchy person, you, you kind of want rules, because you know, give me five rules, and you can find a workaround, you can read between the lines of all those rules, right? You can find, hey, you know, how, how far is too far? How close can I get to sinning without actually sinning, which is what we want, right? We try to find those loopholes. But if there's just one law, to love each other as Jesus loved us, there's no loophole. There's no between the lines. And we usually know the answer to what does love look like in this situation. And so he's saying, following Jesus is about following the law of love, the law of Christ. And he, he describes the transformation that following Jesus brings, that having Jesus in your life brings. He, he compares life in the flesh, which is life without Jesus, basically caring only about yourself. All your decisions are about yourself, and usually you're using others to help yourself. Or life in the Spirit, loving God by loving others. And then Paul gives an example of that. He says, this is what it looks like to actually love others the way Jesus loved you. And he says, here's what happens. When somebody stumbles or when somebody sins, Christians, he's writing to Christians. If a Christian sins, here's what you do. By the way, he also wrote, hey, if somebody who's not a Jesus follower sins, that's none of your business. It's one of my favorite passages. We'll, we'll do a whole series on that sometime. But he says, if, if, one, if a Jesus follower falls into sin, he stumbles. No, we'll get started right now. That's okay, I forgive you. That's next week. <laughs> says, when somebody sins or has their phone on loud in the church, <laughs> he says, restore them gently. Don't hit them over the head. Don't keep making jokes about it. Restore them gently. And he goes on, and he restore them gently and carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Don't speed by that. It's kind of hidden in that, in that passage that we're going through. Don't carry each other's burdens. Carrying each other's burdens, and we'll explain all of that in a second, fulfills the law of Christ. The law, the one law. So what does it mean to follow? What does it mean to obey Jesus? Carry each other's burdens. Yeah, but, you know, this is church. What about all the rules? Carry each other's burdens. The way we love the way Jesus loved is by carrying each other's burdens. So that seems pretty important, right? So what does it mean to carry each other's burdens? word carry there. Other translations say bear, bear each other's burdens. Talking about servants' work, like carrying heavy, heavy loads, back-breaking work. 
carry this burden, bear this burden. By burden, the context, like I said, is, is sin and restoring somebody in sin, but it can also really has this feeling of any type of need. Right? A burden could be a spiritual burden, could be a physical burden, could be a financial burden, emotional, mental burden. Cancer. The results of a divorce. Nagging guilt that you just can't seem to shake. That's a burden. Basically, anything that burdens somebody. Paul is saying carrying those burdens is fulfilling the law of Christ. So caring for each other fulfills the law of Christ. That's why Paul said a few sentences earlier than this passage. He said this, the only thing that counts, he's talking about all these people trying to put all these rules on, on new Christians, and he says, no, stop with the rules. The only thing that counts is faith, believing faith that only Jesus Christ can change you and save you. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. If you have faith in Jesus, if you trust Jesus, then it will express itself through love, through carrying each other's burdens. That's why Jesus' best friend, John, wrote this. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. He doesn't mince words. He's very old at this time, and he's just trying to get it out. For whoever does not love... You, you meet those older people who just feel like they can say anything they want now? And sorry, going on. My parents are getting older. That's the second old... Okay. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love, and this is not like feel really good about, but this is carrying their burden. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. He, Jesus, has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. See, here's the thing. Following Jesus means... Your love for God is expressed by your love for others. That's what it means to follow Jesus. To follow the way. Your love, or following Jesus means your love for God is expressed by your love for others. Yeah, but what about, what about all those Bible verses I, I, I memorized? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Yeah, but what about all that money I gave? Following Jesus means your love for God is expressed by your love for others. But in order for this love to happen, there has to be a willingness to be vulnerable. In order for a burden to be carried, there has to be a willingness to be vulnerable. We have to be willing to show our cards. We have to be willing to show our weakness. We have to admit what's true of every single human being. We don't have it all together. We need help. So in order to truly fulfill the law of Christ, to truly love someone, and whether you're a Jesus follower or not, I think this can still apply. To truly love someone, we have to be willing to carry or bear each other's burdens. As we are open about and share or bear, B-A-R-E, our own burdens. We have to be willing to bear their burdens and bear our burdens. But there's two things that keep us from doing that. Two things that keep us from bearing and bearing or carrying and sharing. I didn't know which words to go with, so I went with all of them. <laughs> Those two things are arrogance and comparison. And that's what Paul's about to, about to show us. 
We'll go on to verse 3. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, you ever meet somebody like that? Man, you want to show them that they are not, right? Some of you are thinking that right now. Anyone who thinks they're something when they are not, they deceive themselves. See, arrogance convinces us we don't need help or we don't need to help. See, arrogance prevents us from offering help because we say, you know, why would I? Maybe we don't use these words. You're nice and polite and, you know, you, you get along with people. But really, if you think through it, you say, why would I help them? I didn't get myself into that mess. I didn't make that choice. I could have made that choice and I didn't. And now they're in that mess and now they need to bear the consequences. Oh, bear the consequences. And we never would say this, but we, we feel it. Maybe we think it. That's below me. That's, that's below my pay grade. I, I don't need to help that. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm too important to help that. So arrogance prevents us from offering help, but arrogance also prevents us from asking for help. Oh, I, <laughs> do you know who I am? I got this. I can handle this. Do you know who my dad is? I, I think I'll be fine. You know, if I, if I do show them that I have this weakness, they're going to think differently about me. They're not going to have me up on that, that pedestal, or they're not going to see me as super mom, or, you know, my, my social media personality will be ruined if they see who I really am. So arrogance prevents us from asking for help. So that's why the New Testament writers constantly talk about the need to be humble, constantly talk about knowing who you actually are, are having a right estimation, it says, of yourself. And it stresses the, they, these writers stress the point that even Jesus, God the Son, God in a human body, came as a servant. Came not to lord it over people, but to serve people. Serve people to the point of death. See, we can't be better together if we think we're better than each other. We can't be better together if we ever think we're better than each other. Now, comparison, so the first thing that keeps us from asking for help or offering help or bearing burdens is arrogance. The second thing is comparison. And it's a lot like arrogance. It's just a little bit more subtle. Verse four. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. See, comparisons convince us that we aren't enough to help and that we don't need to help. See, first, when, when we compare ourselves to those that seem to have more than us, we say, well, how could I? I mean, look what they're doing. How could I even start something like that? See, I'm not, I'm not as good as them. They're, they're so much smarter than me. They're so much holier than me. They're so much stronger or richer or, you know, they're so... More, less in, encumbered by all the responsibilities that I have to do. How could I ever help? And so I can't help or I won't help. So when we compare ourselves to people who seem better than us, we don't help. And when we compare ourselves to those who might be, in our eyes, worse off than us, there's a barrier there. See, well, we say, and we kind of alluded to this earlier, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. Right? When you compare yourself, you're saying, well, I don't, I don't, why would I need help? I'm not as bad off as them. I mean, look at, look at them. Somebody needs to help them. Obviously, they need help. 
but I'm smarter, I'm holier, I'm stronger, I'm richer than them. Why don't you actually help somebody who needs it, not me? And so we go off on our own, and one day we realize that we've fallen and there's nobody to help us up. And we didn't invest in life alert. That's the I've fallen and I can't get up thing. See, in reality, we all have needs. We all need help. And we all have a role to play in carrying each other's burdens. We all have a role to play. That's what Paul's going to talk about in verse 5 here. For each one should carry their own load. You're like, wait, didn't he just say we should bear one another's burdens and now he's saying each one should carry their own load? That's a discrepancy in the Bible. Jeez, Paul can't even keep two sentences straight. False. He says we should carry our own load. He's not talking about a servant's burden like the previous sentence. What he's talking about here, carry your own load, that word there is more like a backpack for a journey or a, a soldier's pack where they each carry their own, their own pack or a medic's bag. We each have our own medic's bag that we should carry. We all have a job to do in carrying each other's burdens. Right? Example, if, if you wanted to go, because this is what people like to do in their free time, if you wanted to go build a brick house, would you, what would be more efficient? To carry all the bricks yourself at once or to each get a whole bunch of people together and each carry one brick to the work site? I know it's a silly example, but that's what we're talking about. We are better together because we each can carry a brick. We each have a pack to carry a brick in. So there are things only you can carry. There are things only you can do. There are strengths that you have that other people need. And on the flip side of that, there are things you can't do. And there's probably things you shouldn't try to do. So my career is pastor. That's, that's my title. I'm, I'm the lead pastor here. And oftentimes when you think of pastor, you think of, you know, that, that guy who, who comes to your house when you're having trouble and sits by you and pats your hand and gives you all this counseling and the sage wisdom. That's not me. I'm not a counselor. Yes, I, I, might, I might have some some ideas and some thoughts, but I never took a class on counseling. And so if somebody came to me for marriage counseling, I would probably say, why aren't you loving each other? <laughs> That'll be $100. <laughs> Every fight you have is because you each want something for yourself. So just choose to love each other. And everybody would leave angry. See, there's people who have been trained who have the gift, who have the, the desire to patiently sit with people and help them see what I just yelled at them, but help them think it was their idea. Right? That's not me. I'd say stop doing that and choose love. That's why we at Cross Creek, we say, hey, we are not professional counselors, but we, we want to we walk through this with you. We want to provide help if you need it. And so we have professional counselors that we work with, that we send people to when that need arises. But just because I sh can't and shouldn't counsel people in that way doesn't mean I can't be a friend. Doesn't mean I can't listen. Doesn't mean I can't give support, say I'm there for you, I'm with you. Doesn't mean I can't pray with them. See, we all have our own load 
to carry, our own role to play in being better together. So really to summarize what Paul's talking about here, it's this, to be better together, I need to bear, bear my burdens and bear, carry your burdens. To be better together, we need to be honest about what is our burden and be willing to carry each other's burden. It's the only way to actually be better together. We can, we can all hang out in a room together, but unless we're actually saying, hey, I need help here, there's no room to get better. So that's a nice idea, right? So now we're just going to stand and hold hands, and we're going to sing a song, maybe it's called Kumbaya. No? Okay. I've been to places where they, never mind, okay. And so what do we do? That's a nice idea. What do we actually do? What are we going to, how, how can we create an environment where we can do that? Well, I think first, you have to find the right environment, right? You have to find people to be better together with. If it's true that we're better together, then we need to be together. We need to find people that we can be better together with. Because you have to know and be known in order to bear and bear. You have to know people and you have to be known by people in order to show your burdens and carry their burdens. Which could be scary. Or like I said, it could be uncomfortable. You've been hurt. There's a reason you haven't let people in. Because every time you do, you are hurt. Every time you do, you say, yep, I knew I shouldn't have done that. So to find those people, you need to find somewhere where you are loved unconditionally. Where you can safely drop the pretenses and the masks and just be you. And just be real. Here at Cross Creek, we have something we call connect groups. Maybe, and this isn't isn't all a plug for connect groups, but maybe that is what will work for you. A connect group where even if you're not convinced about this whole Jesus thing, you would have people who know you, people who are willing to be known by you, who are wanting to be better together. The groups are designed to be a safe place to connect, to be honest, to be open, to share strength. They, I think we just, had our first, we just had our first week of connect groups, but there's still room in these groups. So if, you, if that's you're like, I want to be... I want to be known, and I, I might be willing to know other people. You can sign up for a connect group still. There's still room. You can use the connect card in the seat in front of you. On, online, you can actually click where it says connect, and you can join a group. So maybe that's, maybe that's the step. But if it's not connect groups here, find somebody somewhere where you can be loved unconditionally and where you can be real and they can be real. And that kind of is, is the second part. Let the real you show up. Let the real you show up. Find a place you can connect, and when you do, let the real you show up. See, no human being has it all together. Be willing to be real with with what you are carrying. Be willing to do your part in helping others carry what they are carrying. Get awkward which we don't like these days, right? But awkward, and I, when I was a youth pastor, this was my thing with, with teenagers because they're already awkward, is 
Awkward is good because it means we are being real. We're not used to being real and vulnerable, and that's why it feels awkward. That's why awkward is good, because that's finally you. Remember the old movie Hook? Oh, there you are, Peter. Yes, seven of you, good. I don't know why I'm talking like this either. But awkward is good because it means we are being real. It means you're exposed. But when you're in a safe place, that's okay. And so the first step might be making yourself available to help. That might be the first step, is making yourself available to help. Letting people know that you are willing to carry their burden. See, letting them know that you're willing to carry their burden makes them more willing to be honest with what they're carrying. Say, hey, you know, I, I see that maybe, maybe you're down. Forgive me if I'm, if I'm overstepping, but I would love to listen. You know, I, I don't know if you're religious, but I, I, I like to pray. Could I, maybe not like right here in your face praying with you, but could I pray, with, pray for you later? Is there something I can do? Oh, neighbor, you're having surgery in two weeks. Do you need meals? Could I, could I help you with that? Do you need yard work done? Is there something we can do? Offering to help often is the first step in letting people just let down their guard and say, yeah, I need help. You don't, we're saying you don't have to do this alone. I want to help. I will be offended if you don't ask for help. And I won't use this against you. I was there too until somebody helped me. Now it might mean identifying with the family of God. Maybe maybe the first step in showing that you are available to bear burdens is if you said, I'm a Jesus follower, but you've never fully publicly identified as a Jesus follower. You've never been baptized. You've never said, I am part of the group. I want to show the world that I belong to Jesus, he belongs to me, and I am in the family. Maybe it's it's being baptized. That's your first step in saying, I want to help. I want to be, I want to carry a burden. I want my burdens carried. If you want to be baptized, again, your connect card is the way to do that here. You can fill that out and we'll get information to you. But what would it be like if we all could belong to a community that was constantly lending each other our strength? What would that be like? Where we had the freedom and, and the, the ability to say, I can't do this, I need you to help me. And then we actually had people said, yeah, I could help you with that. In fact, maybe it was to the point where I, I have a friend, and this, I think this is a good example, where I needed a ladder to put up Christmas lights. And I said, hey, you got a ladder? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got a ladder. So he brings his ladder over to put up my Christmas lights. 30 minutes later, he put up my Christmas lights. What if we were all part of a community like that, where we didn't have to climb a ladder because we tricked our friend into doing it? I'm just kidding. <laughs> But where we knew people, we were surrounded by people who were that willing to help, that willing to bear a burden, where weaknesses were an opportunity to be better together, not something to be exploited, where we could be real with our weaknesses, a place where you could use your strengths, you have so much to give, or if you had a place to actually give it. See, we can be better together. We really can. We don't have to do it alone because our burdens are lighter when we carry them together. What is weighing you down, it can be lighter if we carry it together. 
We are better together. We just have to be willing to admit that we're worse off alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you don't expect us to, to live on our own, to, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps alone, to survive alone. But you've, first, you've, you've created a, a group of your followers called the church that you designed to help each other, that you empower to help each other. Thank you for having, having that plan, that, that vision to bring the church together. Thank you for making us better, making us, giving us strengths that we can help each other with. I pray that you give us the, the courage to bear our weaknesses, to bear our burdens to each other, and then the willingness and, again, the courage to help each other, to carry those burdens. Show us how we can be open and how we can lend our strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, next, next week, we're going to be part three. It's, it's about forgiveness, but it'll be good, okay? It, you'll be safe. I won't poke and prod too much, but I, I hope you come back. You can bring a friend. That's allowed. I hope you have a great week, and we will see you next week. Thanks for being here. <laughs>